Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to Bloomberg Sound On for Monday. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. And just like that, I've been hearing about optimism all day. And then the headline hits the terminal. McCarthy says not seeing any movement on debt negotiations. Now, of course, this could be part of the negotiation. But uh, the Speaker of the House just told reporters, I just don't see any real movement on anything. You really need something at the end of this week, he adds. Some would argue, of course, before the end of this week, because, again, President Biden's about to go overseas. He flies out of here on his way to Japan on Wednesday. So that means tomorrow's meeting, that's the Tuesday meeting, again, with the principals in the room, uh, is looming large. And there's a lot of folks in the market hoping it generates something. That's where we begin with Jack Fitzpatrick. Bloomberg government Congress reporter who's been all over this. And I wonder your thoughts on this uh, most recent statement from Speaker McCarthy, Jack. Is he just going to say that until there actually is a deal? That may be the case. Every time there's been some optimism in these talks, McCarthy has seemed to make a point to downplay that and say they're they're not giving enough. There's not enough movement uh, and things aren't moving fast enough. Uh, he seems to be keeping the pressure on the president and on Democrats. Uh, and, and there's so much back and forth in this that I'm not sure anybody is going to say they're happy with the pace of negotiations until there's virtually a deal. So I don't think it's necessarily a, a cause to panic uh, because it's not the first time McCarthy has has spoken pretty negatively, negatively about the pace of these talks. Yeah. OK. Well, are, are, do we have any reason to be, uh, I guess, more optimistic today uh, than we were on Friday? We know staffers met on Saturday. I think it was a roughly three hour session. Jack, I don't know how your reporting checks out on that. But there has been this thought that, hey, you know what? Everything's going to be all right. How come people are talking that way? Well, you know, if you look at the details of this, uh, the fact that staff are talking and there have been little hints of possible compromises, you know, late last week. Kevin McCarthy said almost in passing that uh, the money they want to pull back, the unspent COVID money, could count toward the separate cuts that they wanted. Um, it, you, you really have to look at the very fine details to see little bits of progress, uh, because, again, until they're close to a deal, I don't think there's going to be much celebration. Yeah. But the fact that they are having those staff talks, the fact that there is the meeting set for Tuesday, uh, it, it's difficult to discern between movement and progress, but it, it, clearly there is at least movement. <laughs> Got it. Jack, thank you. Let's stay close this week. Jack Fitzpatrick, Bloomberg Government Congress reporter, checking in uh, as we prepare for the big meeting tomorrow. And I'd love to hear what Mick Mulvaney thinks about all of this. Back with us, as he does every Monday, the former OMB director, former U.S. Special Envoy for Northern Ireland, and important in this uh, case, former acting White House Chief of Staff. And just while we're at it, former congressman, he's co-founder of the House Freedom Caucus, so he's checking all the boxes. Mick, it's great to have you. I hope you had a great weekend. Do you read into this like clawing back COVID funding, maybe seizing on permitting reform as signs of progress? Um, yeah, a little bit. The fact they set the meeting for tomorrow tells me there's a little bit of progress. When I found out 
along with the rest of us, that the Friday meeting had been canceled. Yeah. What that told me was there had been no progress, none. There's no reason for staffers to put their principles back in a meeting if there's nothing new to talk about. You don't waste your principal's time, whether or not you were for McCarthy or Schumer or President Biden. So when they canceled the meeting last Friday, that tells me, okay, they haven't made any progress. The fact they've rescheduled now for tomorrow tells me, all right, maybe there's a little bit. If that meeting holds, then that means they probably have at least gotten far enough to justify taking the time of the principal people involved. Mm-hmm. Now, if they cancel that meeting, uh, and if Biden goes overseas, then that means that really things are not going uh, very well and they've not very much progress, but we'll know by tomorrow. Been a lot of folks asking if the president should cancel uh, this trip altogether. There's been talk about him shortening the trip. But to your point, uh, Mick, the optics there will will be, uh, I, I'm sure, screaming when he you see him climbing the stairs up to Air Force One to leave the country later this week. Do they need to get the framework of a deal before he flies away? They need to make some progress. Keep in mind, that is a very dramatic sort of uh, optic. You're absolutely right. Keep in mind, Nancy Pelosi uh, left to go overseas during a government shutdown, and she paid a political price for that for a long time. We actually canceled a trip overseas um, right on, I believe it was on the heels of one of the hurricanes we had in 2019, that, that the, the visual of a president getting up the steps of that very impressive airplane and leaving the country when there's something important going on domestically, that can be really, really harmful for a president. So um, I'd be surprised if he, if he goes or if he doesn't make some change, unless they've made significant progress to where he can say, look, I'll, I'll be talking on the phone with Kevin, or I'm going, we're making good progress. We feel like it's moving in the right direction. I can, I can walk and chew gum at the same time. Okay, uh, that's important to consider uh, when we walk up on Wednesday. Does it actually increase, though? Does it heighten the urgency here? People keep talking about two weeks. You could actually make the argument that as far as the market is concerned, uh, you've got two days to make some news here, Mick. You do. Keep in mind, I, 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 and maybe I'm in the minority, I've never believed. Uh, Janet Yellen got the date wrong. Uh, at least she says she got the date wrong. And that, to me, is, that's a, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a, that bothers me. Um, you don't think it's June me- 1st? I don't. And here's why. Um, that means either she got the date wrong to the wrong side, which you can't do. Okay, That's malpractice at the highest level. If you're the Treasury Secretary, you can come in and say it's June 30th and have it be July 15th. But you can't say that it's June 30th and have it be June 1st. That, that's, that, that's the one mistake you can't make as the Treasury Secretary, which means either she did, you know, she's not competent, which I don't believe. I think she's a very sharp lady. Or it's done for political purposes, for pressure. Keep in mind, there's investment banks out there doing their own sort of analysis that say they think the number is someplace in July, etc. I recognize there's other folks who say it could be earlier in June. But that has always stood out to me as something that doesn't fit. When the Treasury Secretary misses the date to the wrong side of the calendar, that's got me scratching my head. She's supposed to update that uh, this week, that we'll get a more precise X date. Does that change then when, when we hear from her again? Um, you know, keep on the Treasury is Treasury is big, right? And you talk to anybody who's ever worked there, they don't know exactly to the penny what they've got every single day. At any, any particular time, they might be off five or ten billion dollars. Um, so you, you, you have to understand there's going to be some leeway in the dates and the numbers anyway. Um, but if she comes back, you know, I, I, I can't imagine her moving it further to the left. That would be that would be sort of cataclysmic. If she comes in and says we run out of money May twentieth, uh, so we'll see what she says this week. Spending some time with Mick Mulvaney here on Bloomberg Sound On. I want to ask you about, uh, maybe it feels far afield, but I feel like it's an important question worth asking again, Mick, because legislation initially sponsored by uh, Senator Chris Van Hollen has been reintroduced to eliminate the debt ceiling. 
And in my travels this morning, I thought, you know, I, I, I like to geek out a little bit. I was kind of tooling around. I saw this uh, important hearing that the House Financial Services Committee held back in uh, 2022. This is in uh, February. And Louise Shiner from uh, Brookings was one of the uh, the several people who testified. You might recognize another one there. And she made uh, the case for eliminating the debt ceiling. Here's how she put it. Bickering over the debt ceiling is a waste of time and energy. It creates unnecessary uncertainty. It threatens the benefits that we enjoy of issuing the world's safest asset. And it undermines public confidence in our public institutions. Okay, that's from prepared remarks. And she went into depth on each of those points. There was another uh, person on that panel, another expert. His name was Mick Mulvaney. And Mick, you explain why you disagree. It seems like one of the overriding themes here is that you want to get rid of it because it's hard. Um, it's messy. Yeah. It's it, it's a distraction. Uh, okay, yeah, it, it probably is. So is passing a budget. That's not easy. Um, by the way, I've been involved with uh, several budgets. I was involved, heavily involved in the 2017 debt ceiling increase when President Trump was hard they are you all know i know how hard they are and how messy they are and how partisan they are we do know mick uh, when you look over the course of recent history at least though it's done little to control spending or debt otherwise we wouldn't be talking about it today so why not get rid of it the, actually the, that's not it, it, and i know you're by the way i appreciate the fact you're geeking out like this because now now i know why i like <laughs> you so much because you're one of the few people <laughs> i can have good. these conversations with that um is the, the the debt ceiling led to the balanced budget in 19 and uh, 1990 um, it, it led to the sequester in 2011. Maybe I should have led. said more recent history. The sequester, yeah, though, it, my goodness, is that what we want here? No, because the sequester was, it was a dramatic failure. There's no question about it. But at least, again, that was the discussion about uh, changing our practices. That's what, right. keep in mind, people say, oh, why are the Republicans doing this? They're so difficult. They, you know, they're, they're always, they're such extremists. They're such, you know, they're, they're trying to take us to the edge and so forth. I think if you put your, if you try to look at the world through their perspective, what they would say to you is, well, when is a good time to talk about spending less? Okay, apparently it's not when we do a budget because that leads to a government shutdown. We can't do that. We can't do it when a debt ceiling because that leads to default on the debt. But when is a good time? It doesn't seem there's ever a good time in Washington D.C. for some people, at least, to talk about spending less. Um, and that woman who was on the uh, on the panel with me was making the case that she didn't want to have that conversation about a debt ceiling because yeah. they never want a lot of folks never want to have that discussion. And that's what I think frustrates a lot of Republicans is, look, we we get it. We'd rather not talk about it here. We'd rather talk about it on, an, on a regular day. But no one talks about it with us. So this is the only <laughs> chance we have to force this topic. Well, and you made the point, actually, in that same hearing, and you've done it on this program, that that's a bipartisan problem. You, there are a lot of Republicans who don't want to talk about it either, right? Oh, I can't tell you the number of Republicans that was walking down the hallway one day when I was a freshman. I got there in 2011. One of the old polls was there. He said, ah, you're Mulvaney. I said, yeah. He goes, you know, I love you. I love you, fiscal conservatives. You were here with Reagan. You left. You know, you were here with Newt. You left. You're here again. And you're going to leave, and I'm still going to be here. And I'm gone, and he's still there. So, yeah, there's a lot of Republicans who like to spend money as well. Oh, man. We need to start naming names here as we spend time with Mick Mulvaney, <laughs> uh, former OMB director and former acting White House chief of staff. I could keep going, but the OMB director is an important part here, Mick. As you look at this uh, this debate, uh, are we beyond the idea of negotiating these separately? I mean, when the president refers to, quote unquote, negotiations going well, I guess we are negotiating the budget after all. We are. And we always we always negotiate. Right. I mean, especially when there's there's one party in charge of one branch of government, another and the other negotiation is how it's supposed to work. Excuse me. <coughs> so we'll have these discussions yep. and there'll be some sort of compromise. I, I think that the key now is how do you let the Democrats save face that Biden said he wouldn't do any negotiation at all. 
he seems to have dug in on that. So how does he get from that to some sort of deal? What, what does the structure look like that allows him to save face to negotiate while still saying that he did negotiate on the debt ceiling? I think that's the artwork here. Mick, it's great to have you. Thanks for coming in, as always. Mick Mulvaney with us. We talk every Monday right around this time about issues that matter. And this one is, boy, right in the wheelhouse of Mick Mulvaney. And, of course, our panel. want to hear from Rick and Jeannie while we have the time here. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis join us. Bloomberg Politics contributors. Rick, what's your thought on on that whole idea? I won't ask you to to, to get down on eliminating the debt ceiling quite yet, but as as President Biden says openly that negotiations are well and that he's optimistic, doesn't that mean then... We never did break these two apart. Both are being done at once. Yeah, or, or they're being done separately uh, together. <laughs> I okay. don't know what the difference is, right? Um, and we've been talking about that for a long time. You knew that ultimately there would be a negotiation around spending because that was the starting point for Republicans and it wasn't going to just vanish. And and the fact that, that the sort of this administration and President Biden held on so long to this notion that they were only ever going to be for a uh, clean debt ceiling uh, increase was fantasy. And so now I think we're into reality. I mean, there's, as as Mick was saying, I mean, now people are negotiating and that's what Washington does. It negotiates. And so <laughs> when you start negotiating, you usually come out with something that both parties can say yes to. Jeannie, you probably saw the president on his bike ride yesterday up there, Rehoboth Beach, the Mother's Day ride and reporters asked him how it's going. And he did refer to negotiations uh, proceeding. He says he's an inherent optimist. You know, you've heard that line from him before. Uh, so what was the point of waiting all this time then uh, to not negotiate in the name of a clean debt ceiling bill if we're just going to do it at the last minute? Well, you know, I think the president is making an important point, and I think Democrats are, that this should not be used as a political football. Um, and that is what's happening. We have to pay our debts as a country. And I am concerned that even if they do make a deal, and I certainly hope they do, and they lift the debt ceiling, are we going to do this again next year and the year after and the year after that, especially when we have one party in charge of the House or Senate and the other in the White House? That is certainly no way to run a government. It's no way to budget. And so I respectfully disagree with Mick Mulvaney on the fact that we should not have a debt ceiling. It does not serve any useful purpose. Republicans keep saying it's a way to limit spending, but that's not the only tool we have. And that, by the way, is what Louise Shiner was saying during that during her hearing. She had a lot more where that came from. We're going to dig into that issue coming up with Rick and Jeannie uh, as to whether we should just get rid of the thing altogether. Because, my God, just think of what else we could be talking about. Uh, the, the the analogies that, that came out of that hearing were pretty remarkable as well. But, Rick, is this a deal that needs to be done in the next two days, as in before the president leaves the country? Yeah, I mean, certainly the president would want some indication that they have a deal, whether it goes through all the machinations of Congress, you know, passing a bill and, and getting it to his desk can come i think his signing after he gets back from the g7 but he leaves on thursday and uh or wednesday and so time's time's ticking away success is more than the final destination it's a path you take one step at a time it's discipline it's teamwork and it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition it's what stiefel's been doing for over 130 years Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. 
Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. The time for excuses is over. That from the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, telling Republicans over the weekend in Iowa, that it's time to stop looking backward. At the end of the day, governing is not about entertaining. Governing is not about building a brand or, or, or talking on social media and virtue signaling. It's ultimately about winning and about producing results. And that's what you've done in Iowa, and that's what we've done in Florida. All right. Almost sounds like he's running for president. Actually, there is news. And by the way, we told you about it last week. Everyone's running around this morning with this report that he's going to announce for president in two weeks' time, roughly. Nancy Cook told us that last week on Bloomberg. She's been ensconced in Tallahassee and has been doing some great reporting. As we bring in our panel, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors with an eye on Iowa over the weekend. A little bit to talk about here because Donald Trump, of course, was supposed to hold a rally uh, himself, Jeannie, he canceled it, blaming tornadoes, tornado, dangerous weather. He said we must protect those patriots. But it turns out the, it was actually a watch, not a warning, and it was to expire before his rally uh, was scheduled to begin. Ron DeSantis continuing his tour. He was even out there laughing, flipping burgers over the weekend. Some are calling it DeSantis 2.0 as he's doubled over laughing, talking with potential supporters. Jeannie, what's going on here? Is it time to announce? We're over Meatball Ron onto what Burger Ron, <laughs> yeah. something like that. Um, and he had the state to himself, as you mentioned, because Donald right. Trump was scared off by a tornado watch. You know, I think there's some questions going on. You look at what some people out of Iowa have been talking about online and they're saying, listen, this this watch expired even before the rally was set to begin. So it's a little bit questionable. It may be that he needed time to put together his very lovely Mother's Day address on Truth Social. <laughs> Which, if anybody didn't get a chance to read it, is just... It's wonderful. It's, you know, I know, Joe Matthew, you, I'm sure, said Happy Mother's Day to your wife and your mother in a lovely yes, way. Yeah. As I should say to Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump <laughs> left off Melania, but he went for the Marxist, the communist, the radical left well, fascist, right. everything else. It's quite a He's opening his to heart to a lot of different people. There. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very true. But I thought Ron DeSantis, you know, he's, he's putting himself out there. But I think the big question about his wanting to talk about this idea about losing, rejecting, 
reinventing this culture of losing. He's right on that politically. The problem for him, is he going to say and admit to Republicans that Donald Trump lost the 2020 election? Because you can't say he's a loser and Republicans keep losing if you're not willing to say he lost the last election. And Ron DeSantis hasn't said it yet. He has not said it, Rick. Is that uh, Are those words going to cross his lips in the next two weeks? Oh, I'm sure he'll find some inartful way of saying the same thing without being as direct as genie is and uh in, then then again there is not a candidate ever invented who's as direct as genie is so i don't think we should expect that standard but uh <laughs> right. yeah you know sure i mean these are part of his 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 comparisons this weekend in iowa he was he was all about this sort of half uh hit where he's i'm not saying who i'm referring to but we got to quit talking about the past and the 2020 election and we got to think about the future and 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 look i mean maybe he's just warming up to pushing back a little bit more Mm -hmm. uh but if you watch chris christie on the weekend shows uh you heard him just hammering donald trump his performance on the cnn town hall and 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 the expectations of another trump presidency and and I got to tell you, I said there, there's got to be some kind of way that these candidates can can fit into this narrative where they push back on Trump effectively. Uh, neither one of them are candidates for president, but look how differently yeah. they're approaching Donald Trump at this. How stage. true? Yeah, it's a great point, uh, Rick. The the lines that you're mentioning that we just played it for you. Governing is not about entertaining. It's not about building a brand or t- talking on social media and virtue signaling. All of this he's talking about Donald Trump. And he continued to workshop it over the course of different stops in Iowa. Here's another take. I think if we make this election about a referendum on Joe Biden and his failed policies, and we provide a positive alternative to take America in the new direction, I think Republicans will win across the board. If we. That's a nice round of applause there. Mentions Joe Biden as if he's a candidate. If the election's about anything else. It's about distractions, side issues, all these other things. Hmm. If we allow Biden to just sit in his basement again and not have to be held accountable, well, then I think the Democrats are likely uh, to seize that power that we know they will abuse. So when he announces, Jeannie, if you substitute distractions and sideshows or side issues, whatever he said there, for the name Donald Trump, does that have the impact that you're looking for? You know, I think it would be a step in the right direction for him. Well, let me put it this way. We don't know what the outcome will be. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, we don't think he'll ever get that 30 percent that's all in on Trump. But, you know, he is going to have a hard time sort of running in and being Trump light if he's not willing. And I agree with Chris Christie on this to go and confront Trump directly. He's going to have to get on a debate stage with Trump at some point if Trump deems to debate, and I think he will. And so, you know, he's going to have to confront him in just the way anybody who's with Donald Trump has to confront him. He's not going to get out of it sort of just speaking in circles about Donald Trump. But this is the problem for Ron DeSantis, and I think for all these candidates. They don't want to frighten off these primary voters, even though polls are showing in some of these sort of purple states, they can beat Biden and Trump can't. But they're really, really nervous about offending these primary voters. And so they are going easy on Trump. And that's going to be a problem for him, I think. The president, the former president's calling him Rob now. Uh, Maybe you guys can explain this to me, but uh, he put on the truth social here one day ago, Rob DeSanctimonious and his poll numbers are dropping like a rock. I would almost be inclined to say these are record falls. The question is, Rob, and he's got it in quotes, 
is Rob just young and experienced and naive or more troubling? Is he a fool who has no idea what he's doing? Is this like part of the angle here, Rick? You, you get his name wrong just to upset him a little bit? Well, I'm sure it gets into his head, right? I mean, Rob every, nobody wants nobody wants to nobody wants a nickname from him, but nobody wants to get his name wrong from him. And and I'm sure this is just sort of the head game that Donald Trump plays. Um, I, you know, I, I I've known other people in politics who would intentionally call people by their wrong name just to freak them out. And uh, there's nothing more personal than your name, so why not really wow. insult somebody? By getting it wrong. I, but this is Donald Trump, right? I mean, he actually is very good at psychops, right? I mean, and yeah. he'll get under everybody's skin and he'll make them worry and he'll make them second guess their own motives. But uh, at the end of the day, I think, you know, all these candidates have to think through like, what's the best way for me to run, whether I'm taking him head on or whether I'm doing bank shots. But they got it. But but this is a late forming field of people who are giving Donald Trump the field right now to play on pretty much by themselves, mm -hmm. by himself. And and he's making good use of it. So uh, if if DeSantis is going to run for president, he needs to pull that trigger pretty soon. If Chris Christie's going to run for president, yeah. he needs to make a decision because not go. making a decision makes you look weak. Then again, Donald Trump pulls out uh, at, at the last minute there, canceled the event in Iowa. There are questions, Rick, about the number of cars that were in the parking lot, whether it was a turnout issue. Was that a bad move? Yeah, it's always a bad move to cancel. Nobody likes that. Um, I, I remember the days when John McCain would cancel because he had to make a vote in the Senate. Oh, what a horrible thing, because nobody <laughs> wants to know work. that you actually stayed in Washington and did your day job. I mean, they're like, oh, what a waste of time that is. Um, we want you to be president. Quit, we, quit being a senator. So uh, canceling is a bad thing. And canceling uh, around uh, a DeSantis' visit to, to Iowa was even worse. And... So uh, I do think it shows some vulnerability by Trump. He didn't want to take him on head on. I mean, frankly, he could have flown into some other airport and done exactly what DeSantis did, you know, show up somewhere and, and be a, a celebrity for a minute. And uh, hmm. uh, this is the problem with a big ship like what he's sailing. He's running as if he were president and he and he mm -hmm. and he's not being very nimble in his approach to politics. All right, Jeannie, I got the truth social up. I used your login. Uh, this is from Mother's Day, Donald J. Trump. Happy Mother's Day to all. And all is in caps. And all. In particular, the mothers, wives, and lovers of the radical left fascists, Marxists, and communists who are doing everything within their power to destroy and obliterate our once great country. Does that make up for the rally, Jeannie? You know, it was, I think, just to, you know, end the week that started with the crazy town hall by reminding everybody if they thought he was going to sort of modify, if they thought he had learned anything. Absolutely not. His Mother's Day message couldn't have been more different than any Mother's Day message I've ever read or seen in my life. Um, and, you know, I, I was looking at it in the context of Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis has this lovely Madison Mason Mamie are lucky to have the most wonderful mother in the world kind of thing. We love you, Mom. And then you look at you look at Donald Trump's no mention of Melania, his own mother. His but own lunatics, mother. <laughs> lunatics, maniacs. Um, you know, it's big caps or make America great again. So. Right. You know, and by the way, on the Rob thing, I kept thinking, is that like, what was it, Kavifi? You know, where it's just, <laughs> you know, it, you can't, you know, it's head scratching this whole thing. You're not sure what to make of it, but he certainly uh, gets the headlines uh, with it. We need Kofefi back. If this campaign is real, we demand Kofifi. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. 
catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. The big meeting now, uh, postponed, of course, set for tomorrow with President Biden, Speaker McCarthy, and, you know, whoever else wants to show up. There's actually questions about maybe the circle's too big. Do we need fewer people in here? The staff met for a few hours over the weekend. Now it's Biden, McCarthy, McConnell, Schumer, Jeffries. You know, you need the the four heads of Capitol Hill there with uh, the president, though. They all seem to be pointing at Speaker McCarthy as the guy to negotiate with. And a lot of questions still, as we were asking last week, what unlocks this thing? I mean, clawing back COVID money can only go so far. Is it permitting reform that becomes the catalyst here? To a bigger deal. And that is exactly uh, what Mike Dorning uh, has been writing about and editing about. Maybe a better way to put it. Bloomberg Politics uh, reporter here with us now on Bloomberg Sound On. Faster energy permitting gains traction in U.S. debt limit talks. Mike, it's great to see you as always. And I wonder if we've put our finger on the answer here. What's your thought? Well, I think a lot of people think it will be a building block toward a uh, potential deal here. And it's something where there's interest in both the Republican side and in the White House. The White House already kind of made a deal with Joe Manchin to do this. Um, And John Podesta was out last week talking about the importance of this for clean energy projects. So there's an idea that, hey, the Republicans can get this to help them move along some fossil fuel projects, mm-hmm. to quicker development there. The White House gets some clean energy things they need, you know, easier to get, you know, solar farms permitted, the high voltage lines that they need to put in to transmit stuff back and forth. And you can have a deal here that uh, will spin something forward that the business lobby likes. Now, it probably isn't enough but it's a potential building block. There's some problems on the left with uh, environmentalists don't Certainly. really like this, right. but it's a possibility. Well, you just uh, <clears throat> said it the way a lot of people are going to hear it. Uh, there was a deal on permitting reform last year. Uh, what, what Does this sort of extend what was worked on then? Um, the Republicans would like more than what Manchin got, okay. and they didn't want Manchin to get a win Last time, partly that was, I mean, to put it bluntly, sour grapes, because Manchin's deal on this put the Democrats over the top mm-hmm. to get the sort of stripped down version of the Biden agenda through Congress. And they didn't want to reward Manchin for helping get that through. But there are some actual legitimate policy differences where the Republican version would go further and they want to move okay. it more in that direction. And so this would allow for uh, more access uh, to to permitting for gas and oil drilling. Uh, Democrats could and, win. And pipelines. And pipelines, indeed. How do, you, how do you get it from the, the drilling site? Uh, but also Democrats want to unlock more permits for solar and, and, and wind. Do they, do they balance each other out? Well, partly, but if you're like someone who's serious about climate change, a lot of the people who are more serious about climate change say, hey, the important thing to get move the climate change agenda forward is to stop so much building out of fossil fuels and try to tamp down fossil fuel usage because that's the whole point of the clean energy is to reduce the fossil fuel usage. Mm -hmm. Other people – who have a different view of this would say, well, the really important thing is to ramp up the clean energy 
and it's going to take time. So let's let them do more of the uh, fossil fuel stuff in the meantime. Can they can they find both? Can they get both done in this potential deal? I mean, I think it's quite possible that it may not be that all the environmentalists are going to be happy, but yeah. there's enough will there for the White House and the Republicans to come together on this issue. It may, it's probably not enough to get a a deal on the debt limit, but it, it's a building block. Got it. Mike, thank you, as always. Mike brings us up to date on a regular basis here on Bloomberg Sound On. We want to play it to the panel now. As uh, we get ready for the big meeting tomorrow, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are with us. Rick, uh, Garrett Graves, Republican congressman, uh, advisor to McCarthy here, tells Bloomberg in this story, chances are better than 50-50. A deal will include some agreement on an energy permitting overhaul. So is this the key? I don't know if it's a key. I mean, they're going to have to get the spending caps done right. And uh, and, and that's, I'd say, uh, the harder issue. Uh, but this is bipartisan. I mean, in the sense that uh, both sides... There's something in it for them, as Garrett described. And I would say the the one person who's most interested in it is probably Joe Biden, because the last thing he wants is look like he didn't do anything. And then the gas prices go up next year in the middle of an election year. And he doesn't have a talking point. Last year it was, hey, we need more permits to drill and to transport. And he wasn't going to let him do that. This would give him a talking point. Is this uh, a good direction to go in here or does Joe Biden stand to lose a bunch of progressives along the way, Jeannie? You know, I think he will lose some progressives, some environmentalists, but, you know, they're going to have to deal. So I think this would be an important step forward. That said, you look at all of these things. You know, Rick mentioned if they get spending caps and they get an agreement there, but unspent COVID money, permitting reform, it's it doesn't sound like at just that mini list is enough to get to where they need to do it unless you're talking about Democrats and a few Republicans. Because if they're taking the IRA off the table, student loan forgiveness and cuts to Medicaid and food stamps, the Democrats, where do they how do they reach what Republicans need yes, if they're right. talking non-defense discretionary spending without raising taxes or, you know, I mean, so I, I'm not sure how the numbers work out at this point. But of course, it's a good start that they're talking and finding common ground, at least in some areas. If this is the kind of thing that that might unlock a deal that might make Republicans happy, uh, Rick, what does Kevin McCarthy have to offer Joe Biden? Just avoiding a default? Uh, yeah, I mean that's the trigger, right? That's we, it. Huh? We can actually pass this through, and 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 look, it's a no brainer. I mean, they're not spending the COVID money. Biden's already saying, well, if there's stuff laying around, we might as well give it back to right. the taxpayer. I mean, that's not a bad position for him to be in. And then it's just a, a it's the same negotiation they're going to have on the budget anyway, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like how much you know is the is the cap on on discretionary spending? That there, there's a number there that they're going to agree to somewhere between six and nine percent, and. And then and then they've actually got to jump start on the budget, which they got to do anyway. So none of this is actually producing a real problem from what I can see other than the timing. And they got to get all this done, passed and signed, you know, in the next couple of weeks. And and the Senate's out on Thursday. So when are they going to get all this stuff done? <laughs> no one has the answer to that right now, Jeannie. And that's why this is pretty wild, uh, as as we suggested before, though. Uh, a, a deal would sure help the markets a lot for a deal to be cut tomorrow before the president leaves on Wednesday. What's the duration on the debt ceiling? Can the president get a win, maybe something even more than two years, or is that just unrealistic? 
you know, I, I think he could. But again, you know, I think Rick is right. The timing here is really troubling. But let me just add, so is the fact that that McCarthy can't lose the more than four Republicans. Right. And I'm still not sure how the numbers work. And he doesn't lose more than four unless he really is able to arm wrestle them. And we haven't really seen that happen yet. Anybody done a wellness check on George Santos lately? Anyone? Anyone? Rick and Jeannie come back with some final thoughts here on potentially eliminating the debt ceiling. There is a bill on that. They don't have to write it even. It's sitting there in the Senate. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Well, God knows the markets have been reacting to this whole debt ceiling conversation we've been having for weeks and with no deal in sight, Kaylee. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to see how certain corners of the market behave. You might have seen uh, Michael Wilson, Morgan Stanley this morning calling for more volatility as this is sorted out. Mm -hmm. I, I think maybe we can actually say, I, I realize the markets are higher today, but not by a lot, with, with some credibility this week that Wall Street is paying attention now. Yeah, and it, it, it's the, the stock market awakening we have Correct. been waiting for, right? Yep. We already are seeing it in the bond market, in those short-term T-bills. They have always really been paying attention because that's actually paper that matures when potentially the treasury isn't going to be able to pay its bills. But the market also, of course, is, as always, very headline oriented, clinging to each and every headline. And right now, the headlines coming out of House Speaker Kevin McCarthy don't feel like they're super positive for any asset, really. he, he He's saying to reporters he feels like debt limit meetings are not productive at all. They are nowhere near reaching a conclusion and there's no agreement on anything. Great. And that's how we're starting off this week on a Monday. So we're going to talk to Terry Haynes from Pangea Policy in just a moment. Uh, but a really interesting conversation now. This is something that we do at Bloomberg, the Markets Live Pulse Survey. Mm -hmm. We're asking people, you know, what's the best hideout during this time? And Kasia Klimashinska, who is our colleague here in the Washington, D.C. Bureau, runs that survey and joins us now. 
in her debut on Sound On. Kasha, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming in. Hello. Thank you for having me. Aren't you sorry you raised your hand? <laughs> so this is uh, fascinating to me. What will rally if the U.S. defaults is essentially what we're talking about here. What would you find? Exactly. So if the U.S. indeed hits that debt ceiling, then investors say buy gold. Mm-hmm. That's so, the number one. That's right. And then the uh, number two is... Guess what? U.S. Treasuries. So <laughs> Which exactly. is so backwards. <laughs> yes. The security that the U.S. would default on, people say buy the long-term, the 10-year Treasuries. Wow. They might be a good bet. Okay. Which but I the, guess it means you can see across the valley there. But, Kaylee, that's, that's the very paper that would be at risk, isn't it? Well, it is, I mean, especially the maturities that would not be paid in the actual time under which the treasury would be operating or not being able to fulfill its obligations. In theory, that doesn't last for very long, which is maybe why you can buy the longer term treasuries and you still have that full faith and credit. But yeah, it feels very, very backwards. And of course, after golden treasuries, Kasha, yes, Bitcoin. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So Bitcoin comes ahead of most of what we think as the safe haven currencies, such as the U.S. dollar. Yeah, and the Swiss franc. So interestingly, yes, this uh, crowd that we polled, and these are mostly professional investors, people who, you know, So this make is institutional, leading. not yes, retail. They say, look, at Bitcoin, at this specific moment, uh, it might be a good bet. Wow. So this is, uh, your look, you're the co-host of the crypto show, Kaylee, <laughs> this is singing your song here, or yeah. someone's song, uh, as a store of value, right? Yeah, well, and this is what we've been hearing a lot from the crypto community, if you will, is that the U.S. potentially defaulting on its debt, in addition to traditional banks failing over the course of the last several months, is case in point for why you would want to be in a decentralized system, have custody of of something like Bitcoin, which you can self-custody. So it kind of makes the point. Uh, in addition to asking investors you know, what they would want to hold in case of a default, I also thought it was noteworthy that 60% of respondents said the risks are bigger this time around than in 2011. That's right, right? So 2011 was the worst case to date. Remember that the U.S. didn't default back then, back then, but we did lose our AAA rating from right. one of the rating agencies. And so, of course, uh, stock markets suffered a lot. Mm-hmm. And so people, yes, the professional investors especially, think this time it's worse, it's more risky, of course, in part of what we see out of D.C., the much more divided political scene here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, find the story, and it's easy to do. What's actually what's the fastest way to get to the the survey on the terminal? You just type N I M Live Pulse. There so it it's is. Marcus Live yes. Pulse survey. M Live Pulse on your terminal. Kasha, great to see you. Thank you, uh, Kasha Klimashinska. I could just say that all day. It just rolls <laughs> off the tongue. Nailed it. As we bring in Terry Haynes, the founder of Pangea Policy, uh, on this. Terry, you buying Bitcoin or what? Uh, I try try to stay away from anything controversial, Joe, as you well know. Oh, good. Okay, this conversation is officially over. Uh, What's on your your mind today, Terry? The big meeting tomorrow and everyone's acting like a tough guy in front of the media. Well, yeah, I just, look, I've said this morning in a note that uh, I wanted markets to know that there wasn't going to be a debt ceiling deal this week. And, you know, I think that's largely markets negative. I think there's a lot there's a lot of people that are busily trying to convince themselves that progress is being made and uh and some people will want want the illusion of progress and some people don't in a negotiation that's that's part of negotiations um as, you know as we all know but the you know that's going to confuse markets I think a little bit because what you're going to have is you're going to have you know the 
Biden or Leo Brainerd or somebody kind of playing footsie around with, you know, things are actually going well. And then you're going to have uh, Speaker McCarthy, as he did in the last hour, say, well, actually not. Uh, there's, mm-hmm. you know, I don't see anything new here. You know, in my own, I'll wrap by saying this, the, you know, the, we, we may be having negotiations, but there, until there is a situation where Biden and the congressional leaders on both sides are understand and agree on what the parameters are for what they're trying to do and a general framework, there aren't negotiations. Uh, staff work is no substitute for negotiations, and, uh, and it's, a, uh, uh, it's a mistake to think that, that a bunch of staff meeting in a room uh, means there's progress here. Well, according to Kevin McCarthy, there is not much progress. He says they're nowhere near reaching a conclusion. The meetings have not been productive. There's no agreement on anything. So, Terry, if a deal doesn't come this week, then the president heads off to Japan. The Senate, in theory, goes on recess through the Memorial Day holiday. When is there time to actually do a deal? How high do you think the odds are in this moment that no deal gets done? Well, where I've been for about the last week is, and I increased my odds slightly, or I decreased my odds slightly. My base case is that 60% a deal gets done and 40% that it doesn't. And that's today. And that's, you know, there's, this is going to be a lot of all political volatility here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, uh, my, my analysis of this will change as the facts change. But, you know, for the next week or so, what we have is we have a larger, uh, a larger possibility of a catastrophic mistake uh, than, you know, certainly the markets want. And uh, what you have is you've got a situation where, uh, you know, the president won't, uh, won't meaningfully negotiate after Tuesday's meeting because, as you point out, he'll be in Japan and uh, potentially a couple of other places. Uh, and you've got a situation where congressional leaders can be around a table at a moment's notice, but uh, they're going to have to call the House and the Senate back in to do a deal. And there's a ton of mechanics that are associated with this. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, just because the five of them agree doesn't mean the deal gets done. They've got to go sell it to both parties, and you know that's going to take a little bit of time. So you know we're we're we are kind of bumping right up against it in a political sense. Although markets think there's a lot of time left. Terry, do they need to have at least the framework of an agreement before the president leaves on Wednesday? How crucial is tomorrow's meeting? Um, I think tomorrow's meeting is, is important. I don't think it's crucial, though. Uh, I, I wouldn't look at, you know, I, I, I don't look at tomorrow's meeting as being a success in market terms anyway. But that said, uh, because I don't think they get a framework or anything like that. Okay. But that said, but that said, I mean, I think what you what you have is you'll you'll have more jawboning over the next several days, and people will start to get closer. And then I think the week after, you're probably going to see some progress. On the subject of markets, Terry, how much do they play a role in this? Because the markets aren't totally falling out of bed, freaking out yet, which in theory takes some pressure off the negotiators, right? Yeah, exactly, and that's that's well said. The uh, yeah. Markets always think everything is about markets, and that's you know that's a very human sort of reaction. Uh, I will tell you that uh, markets play a much uh, a much less important part in the day to day of these negotiations. They, everybody understands what the stakes are. Everybody understands what the ultimate problem is. But the ups and downs of markets on a day to day basis, uh, you know the. None of these negotiators particularly care about that. They know there's going to be fluctuations of volatility. They get that, but they long ago, they, they long ago uh, all agreed uh, to a process themselves. I mean, the, the process that 
uh, you know, they were going to try to get whatever political advantage they, they can out of this process. And, that you know, that's increasingly going to discomfort markets. Uh, but, you know, the, as long as they think they can get political advantage out of it, they'll continue to kick the can around uh, before they get serious. You need to come and sit down with us in person one of these, Terry. We're going to kick the can around here together in <laughs> studio. Uh, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be honored. I will. Let's let's make it happen because we're running out of days here. <laughs> Terry Haynes always brings the wisdom, the founder of Pangea Policy. And I would like to take a deep dive, Kaylee, with Terry on this stuff because we're not going to imagine. Hey, what do I know? I have a deal by next Monday and we've, we, we need to we need to continue that conversation, if not finish it. Yeah, absolutely. Especially as Terry says, there is a 40 percent chance of this going in the bad way here, that Joe. We'll and those odds are probably so. uncomfortably high. For basically everyone involved in these conversations. Back to our survey. Yeah, exactly. Bitcoin, treasuries. Yep. In no particular order. Thanks for listening to the Sound On podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.